from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of room and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Republican Jeannie Ives, Democrat Dan Johnson, retired journalist Derek Blakely, progressive Peter Hanna, and conservative Karen Sigamon. Our program tonight coming to you on base at WCGO Radio in Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. And again, that phone number, 1-800-723-8289. And again, uh, I'm going to be repeating that number quite a bit. Uh, whether you want to call in, whether you want to send comments uh, via Facebook, whatever, how you ever want to communicate. Because tonight, uh, this is maybe one of the most important shows we've done in the 39 history, 39 history of, of this program. And that is, as you all know, uh, over 75 major U.S. cities uh, have had some form of civil, disaburb- uh, civil disobedience or, or rioting and looting uh, over the last uh, 48 hours. And uh, uh, we are learning today that the 16 states uh, have called out their National Guard, including here in the state of Illinois. And uh, one of the things that also that we can report uh, from our point here in Evanston, Illinois, which is just uh, north of the suburb of Chicago, is that it's also moving into a lot of the suburban areas. That certainly is what we can report here uh, in the Chicagoland area, and I'd like to get reaction from wherever you're listening into this country, in this country where you can hear this voice. Uh, I'd like to know whether or not uh, the unrest that has been part of our country for the last 48 hours, is it also permeating itself uh, into the suburban areas uh, where you may live or uh, work? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeannie Ives is one of our uh, guests tonight. She is a Republican. She's a candidate for Congress from the 6th Congressional District. We'll also hear from Dan Johnson, a Democrat, in just a few moments. But, Gene, I want to talk to you and find out uh, uh, how widespread is uh, the disturbances in the area that you would like to represent in Congress? Well, I know for a fact that it is throughout the county that I personally live in, which represents 60% of the 6th Congressional District. That's DuPage County. It's a suburb uh, located just 25 miles straight west of town, downtown Chicago. But we've had peaceful protests down here, but now we are also seeing um, uh, apparent looting going on at at Best Buy down in Downers Grove, I'm told, and a closing of a number of stores. Target across the Midwest has apparently closed its stores, some of them earlier than others, but all of them by 5 p.m. tonight. Closed uh, the Home Depot just miles from my home had to close because there were some protesters outside there and they didn't want anything to be escalated. This is really unusual to find this type of activity here in the suburbs. Um, and it's, it's, it's not, it, you know, it's a spillover obviously from the extreme amount of violence that happened in downtown Chicago. Right. I want to interrupt uh, just for a second to, to bring Dan Johnson yeah. uh, into the, uh, into the conversation. You live on the North shore of Chicago. Is there anything that's happening sort of in the immediate area where you are, uh, and also, uh, are you worried that this thing has moved on to a, to a suburban uh, reaction, which uh, might have some uh, significant political impact uh, come November? Um, the second question is no, uh, I'm not. The first question is there was a big uh, uh, peaceful protest of 10,000 people or so in uh, where you are in Evanston, which is mm-hmm. a town of maybe 100,000. So the ratio mm-hmm. of people participating to express their solidarity with those that 
suffer from uh, brutality were, uh, were pretty high. So big peaceful protest. And they, they did exercise social distancing, I'm told, with six feet between each protester uh, when they finally got to the high school. Is there a responsibility in your mind, Dan, when, when peaceful protesters uh, get together, whether they're organized or not, is, is there some responsibility that they have to root out those that may infiltrate their group and, uh, and, and report them to the police or move them uh, you know, to the back of the line? Oh, I think so. And I think you've seen that, uh, at least in tons of clips, where, um, you know, people that are just uh, infiltrators, whether they're, uh, you know, uh, extreme uh, people of the right or extreme people of the left or just extreme criminals that want to get a chance to loot. Uh, you, you know, you see lots of clips of, um, you know, predominantly black protesters telling sometimes they're sort of younger white kids that are leading this violence stop it, you know, cut that out. That's not what this is about. So um, I think there's a lot of that happening in the protests today mm. or yesterday, I should say. Okay. So uh, Jeannie, your, your interpretation of what you've seen on television. Well, I watched a lot of the coverage from uh, downtown Chicago that was occurring on different news stations throughout. And uh, it was a mixed crowd. Obviously it, there was no, uh, there was uh, both races were, were obviously present. Uh, you know, just you saw them, you know, running out of the Nike store, literally with armloads of goods uh, that they had just looted. So uh, the lawlessness was everywhere. Uh, the police, I believe, I personally, from what I could tell, Chicago Police Department tried to contain what they could, but they had in Chicago police cars. You had burned Chicago police cars. You had Chicago police officers being dragged by thugs and protesters. And certainly there was more of them. Uh, than the Chicago police could arrest or, or handle. Uh, and that was a the problem. They did a great job in raising the drawbridges, trying to contain it so it didn't spill over into the north side, but yet it did. And further looting went on. I mean, it was on all sides, everywhere. Uh, downtown Chicago was could not be contained. And in my opinion, it was a really a complete failure of leadership to not expect that this was going to occur to not have other measures in place before it got out of hand. Dan, I want to ask you, as a, as a Democrat living in suburbia, although you spend a lot of time of your life in, in Chicago, um, have your friends or neighbors raised concerns with you about what appears to be a weakness on the part of the Chicago mayor and even the governor of, of Illinois, who finally uh, you know, sent in the National Guard late this afternoon, but everything was... Uh, it, it was done in a sort of very soft, almost apologetic way. Did your neighbors see it that way in any way? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think we've been fortunate, uh, despite uh, a long sorted history. Uh, we didn't see the sort of direct uh, police brutality that sparked all this, right? We didn't have an assassination right. of, uh, uh, of gentlemen um, that sparked it all right. three, four days ago, which seems like a month ago in Minnesota. So, I do think in Chicago, we're fortunate we didn't have those scenes of a New York police car driving over people. Uh, we didn't see, you know, tear gassed against people in Chicago. So uh, that's great. Uh, we do have, of course, a very long sordid history of, uh, you know, police torture and false confessions and $750 million in judgments for, uh, you know, settlements against police brutality, but at least last night, that didn't seem to be the case in Chicago. Does it, does it, again, I want to go back to a question that you responded to a little bit earlier. Yeah. And, and that is, uh, 
you don't think uh, Joe and Mabel average citizen who are sitting home uh, in their easy chairs uh, in any any community in the United States, you don't think that seeing a looting and, and, and violence against the police with projectiles being thrown, you don't think that plays differently with people who are watching this on television? I need a 30-second answer, and, and go ahead. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure lots of different people have different responses, um, and it sure feels like, um, you know, there's definitely paranoia and fear that people that think that there's a benefit to seeing that occur are infiltrating peaceful protests to try to spark that sort of uh, attacks. Okay, I want to get Jeannie's response to that. 1-800-723-8229. Very interested in knowing how things are playing. Wherever you're listening to this program this evening, your input is very much appreciated. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly. This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age 60 are at higher risk for the COVID-19 coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back, and we are coming to you from Evanston, Illinois. That's just a, uh, a short place. I was going to say a stone's throw, but we don't want to say stone's throwing tonight. Uh, uh, from uh, Chicago, Illinois. And again, uh, if you're listening around the country, we'd really like to know uh, how things are going in your particular area. I, I can't recall any time. Uh, I, I don't think I can recall any time when I have uh, sat uh, at home on television and seen so many cities uh, flaring up with with burning and, and looting, as I saw last night, going back and forth between what Fox uh, was uh, showing us and also what uh, uh, what was going on on, on CNN. Uh, let's go. Uh, we don't have a cause, but I want to go back to our guests and 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 go back to you, Jeannie, and just say um, let's let's take some time talking about the original sin here, the the actions. Mm-hmm of the police officer in, in, in Minneapolis. Your reaction to it and how irate should people be about that incident? Well, Bruce, it's just horrific. Anybody who watched that, it, it cannot be just um, incensed at the, 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 the inhumanity and just the complete neglect of the other three officers that allowed it to, uh, to, to happen. And then to be a bystander and watch that happen and feel helpless to intervene because there's four police officers there. How can you intervene? And I, it, it's just horrific. I mean, I don't think that it was the most inhumane thing when I saw the video that I've ever seen before. All right. it, 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 it's just unbelievable. People in this neck of the woods, we are just horrified by it. There was a peaceful uh, demonstration uh, yesterday in Naperville sponsored by the NAACP that I attended for a while. I mean, and, and that's appropriate. 
Uh, I it just the original incident. This has got to be handled swiftly. They took too way too long to come down with uh, um, a charge and to put the man behind bars. Okay, let, just, let me let me let me let me go to Dan. Dan, and 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 that's to that's getting back to how the original sin here uh, that that got everyone riled up. I can't recall an incident like this where the reaction from the general public or white America, let me just say white America, was so overwhelmingly uh, just, just de- they deplored what they saw with their own eyes. So I'm, I'm concerned about what, what at least starts politically as, as a, almost a unanimous reaction from the American people on how disgusted they are with what happened there and how quickly that feeling can be dissipated by those in the, in the name of protest, turn, they become criminals and they become looters and they become arsonists and, and they lose, I think, maybe a large number, if not the majority of the populace that was on their side from the, from the start. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of things can be true at the same time. And I think in 2020, I think more of white America is ready to accept the reality of institutional racism and white privilege. And that particularly African-Americans have been brutalized a lot of times by law enforcement. And so that's one thing that can be true. It can also be true. Can that- I ask you just one quick follow-up and then I, I will go back yeah, to sure. When, when we start the discussion with one cop acting in a very unprofessional way, and he's been charged with, with a couple of uh, third-degree murder and manslaughter, how, and when we're having this difficult discussion, how do we move so quickly to other issues of systemic racism and all the other issues that are part of a legitimate national discussion but it seems to me that we move fast, we move way fast beyond what is the obvious catalyst that gets everybody together. And that is the outrageous procedure involved uh, with this police officer. Well, I mean, look, keep in mind, uh, it's, it's police, it's the over-policing of black communities and what particularly black men face at the hands of law enforcement. And that's sort of the narrow uh, original sin. The broader sort of structural racism is legitimate, but sort of a separate topic. But sort of just what black men in particular face from American law enforcement is unacceptable. And in lots of communities, absolutely horrific. Chicago for a long time included. That I think is the original sin. And the Minnesota example is one of a very long line of these examples. Do you see it that way, Jeannie? Look, I, you know, there's been obviously the people that we can identify as a, a system, as, as, a, as a culture, are those African-American men, those black men that have been killed at police hands. We can't remember any of the black-on-black crime victims that were shot dead in Chicago uh, just last weekend. The 10 of those shot dead, the, the third, the, what, 49 that were shot, 10 of them dead. We, we don't remember those victims at all, do we? Uh, but you're right, it is a different conversation here with police crime, and we, rem- we remember them by name, right? Um, uh, what is it, Eric Gardner, uh, uh, 
Laquan McDonald. I mean, that's mm. the the one in Chicago that the, the Democrat Mayor Rahm Emanuel just totally, you know, uh, threw that investigation for uh, a loop, right? So, I mean, we've got, yeah, we remember these people. It, it's awful. I, I hate to paint with a broad br- brush, though. I, I hate to paint. I'm not going to paint. I'm not going to paint and, every place with a broad brush. What, You're not going to see me doing that. What, what's the, what's that the way. Once the discussion moves from beyond the very specific case about what happened, uh, you know, to uh, to Mr. Floyd in 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 Minnesota, you get into the issue of police again, police brutality. Uh, he was a black man. What was he doing? What prompted him to be stopped by the police? You get into some of these other issues, which are all very relevant issues when you're looking at a particular case, but when. When, when part of this initial um, reaction comes out from leaders of the black community is that, you know, blacks are, are disproportionately stopped by the police. Okay. Blacks feel that way. A lot yes. of whites don't feel that way. But then when you see the reaction 24 hours later and you see the, the rioting that's taking place and the looting at least what I've seen, the vast majority of it was African-Americans running into stores, stealing things. And doesn't that just reinforce the initial perception that some whites have or some people have that blacks may be more prone to taking advantage of a situation or stealing things that don't belong to them? And that's why some of them end up in jail and prison. Dan? Well, we don't want we don't want to I don't want to paint with a broad brush, though. Look, three. No, no, the, I don't. I, I don't. But I'm I'm, yeah. I'm 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 talking about the perception, yeah. that, that, perception. that comes out of this. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the minute the minute you got away from the, the, the visual of, of that police officer with his with his knee on on on, on the neck of, of, of Mr. Floyd, then there's, there's so many other images that are now in everybody's mind. Dan, I, I, I would say this. I do think. It was, I think, Bruce, your point from a couple days ago or three days ago, the sort of universal revulsion. Yes. Um, it was sort of, uh, it, it captured that in our country, our government doesn't treat black people equally still. And the reason why I think police violence is different than sort of regular crime violence is that it's our government acting. And when and we got to hold up to a much, much higher standard. So I think it's much more troubling when we have police violence against citizens. And I do think, uh, here's the sad part, every time one of these horrific, you know, acts of violence by our government against a citizen occurs, I think more of the major- white people sort of come to accept, the acknowledge rather the reality of it, which is, makes it more likely we can fix it. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, the, the, the picture in my mind are the three black men defending the tobacco shop in Minnesota armed and saying, you know, you're not going okay. to loot this store that I work in that provides me a job and income and I'm protecting it. I mean, and that's, that's a perception I'd like to keep in my mind too. Yes. willing to stand and defend. Isn't that terrific? Yes, and that you know, there's or defending no, their, think, they're defending their neighborhood. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there's, and look, I think there should be no tolerance for anybody that's looting. But uh, you know, the mayor just said what a couple hours ago. This was an organized effort to take 
massive peaceful protests and people, some people have an interest in violence and some of them are, you know, left-wing anarchists and some of them these right-wing militia types. Some people are calling for civil war, a tiny minority on both fringes. People are. I, I acknowledge that. But again, for the mayor that said she couldn't, she, you know, she was surprised by it. You couldn't have prepared for it. I mean, this is a bright woman. I mean, hasn't she seen what's been going on in other in other parts of the, including the governor? Why are they sending out the National Guard today? They should have sent out the National Guard yesterday or the day before. Then, then most of Michigan Avenue and State Street wouldn't be destroyed. I mean, for those around the country that have been down the Magnificent Mile, I got to tell you, the Magnificent Mile is no longer magnificent. It's all boarded up, broken windows. There was a lack of protection. And, and, the, and the lack of protection, we have a new police chief in town who probably still can't even find Water Tower Place. Uh, again, it, it was a disgrace. And she said well, she, where, she, couldn't, have, she couldn't imagine it. What was, she, what was she doing? Go ahead, Jeannie. Where were they to stand and defend? Where was Lori Lightfoot who wanted to admonish the school children playing basketball on the court during COVID-19? How come she wasn't out there with her security guard saying, you know what? You think you're going to throw a brick at uh, Nike store downtown? You're going to throw it at me first. I mean, yeah. What's the leadership yeah. here standing and defending? Well, she, she is one that says, you know, this will not happen. This will not happen. She says that. And then, t- then 10 seconds later, it's happening. And then she's surprised. And then she says, we won't let this stand. Well, you've been a little late, Mayor Lightfoot. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. Hi, this is Dr. Phil. The new coronavirus called COVID-19 is spreading in China and beyond. While CDC is working to stop the spread of the virus, we can all play a role in stopping this deadly disease. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting emergency response efforts in the United States and around the world. To get updates and learn how to protect friends and loved ones, find out how to help by going to cdcfoundation.org. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, let's go to Edward listening to us in Chicago. Go ahead, Edward. Yeah, thank you, Bruce, for taking my call. Good. Uh, I hope the media and some of these talking people stop saying black and brown people because I'm looking at my TV and I see young black uh, 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 young people uh, looting these stores. I don't see too many uh, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans. Uh, we have a tradition where we don't beg for money. Usually it's white or blacks that are begging for money on the street. Are you, know are you anything about are, living are you, in the city? Are, are you Hispanic, Edward? Yes. Okay. Uh, me and my brother were born here in Chicago, uh, but my parents are from Mexico. Okay. And and your point is when they talk about black and brown in this particular case, you don't you have not seen many uh, uh I have not seen that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've been stopped by police and I always respect uh 
whoever's, you know, talking to me as far as an authority includes my supervisor or police, and I haven't had any problems. So if you want to get all, you know, hot and bothered, then there's going to be consequences for that with people with authority. Okay. Is there, is there truth to that, uh, Dan Johnson? I mean, I, I, I don't, I think it's hard to take a look at the number of, you know, dozens or hundreds or thousands of people. Well, let me put it this way. Does anyone really think that African-American men are treated the same uh, by our government and their law enforcement as, uh, as white folks or uh, even Latinos? But I, I, th- I think if, if your answer is yes, they're treated the same, then I think we've got a, you know, cognitive dissonance. But I think more and more people are coming to acknowledge the reality that, no, there is, in fact, atrocious inequality in how our law enforcement, our government treats African-Americans. I would, and it's wrong. It needs to stop. I would agree. I wouldn't use the word atrocious, but I would agree that African-Americans are treated differently than uh, than others. I don't want to get brown in here. I'm just talking about blacks now. I think they're treated differently from others by police departments. I believe that. However, that which is the question that I asked a few moments ago is, is there a reason for that? Is there a reason in 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 the upbringing of an of a young African American? Are they taught? Are they reminded? That if a police officer tells you to stop, you stop. If a police officer tells you to stop resisting, you stop resisting. Now, they may argue that if you, that if you disobey the police, they're going to beat the crap out of you. That may be true. But again, if you start by disobeying a police officer, you have taken the huge step in the wrong direction insofar as that relationship is concerned. And, and a lot of people have to understand that. A lot of African-Americans have to understand that. Or if they see in the wake of, of, of a tragedy like this, they see arson and they see looting and they see black people coming out of stores uh, with, with things that don't belong to them. It's, there's, there's a reason to believe that if you're looking for people that, that are shoplifting or, or stealing something from a store... You might look for someone who is black more than someone who is white, especially if it's in an African-American neighborhood. Now, if I'm wrong about that, I want to hear from anyone who disagrees with what I'm about to say. I'm trying to find some common sense here in growing up black in America and then also the issue of, 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 of police perceptions of blacks as being uh, more likely to commit crime. And I don't I, think I, that's light. Uh, I don't think I agree with this. Go ahead, Jeannie. Uh, just, okay, uh, just a couple things. One of the things that came up yesterday at the peaceful protest here in Naperville, Illinois, yeah. is the Sandra Bland incident where the African-American woman was, you know, died in jail uh, after being arrested for some sort of like small traffic signaling issue. And it was, it, it, it just, it, where is the de-escalation's responsibility? Is it on the better trained officer or is it on the person they're trying to arrest? I mean, nobody should resist arrest. Don't get me wrong. But when you had four officers, something went wrong. And yes. we all know that. I mean, but there should be training on both sides. How do you, what do you do in the case of being pulled over by an officer? What do you, what's the appropriate response? 
I think about Philandro Castile, who was also, uh, he died at the hands of an officer who discharged his gun in Minnesota, I think it was in 2016. And the, the officer was acquitted by the jury, but certainly there were there was training issues there to some degree. And I would put it this I way. I agree. I think, um, you know, every legislature is majority white, right? Uh, all the police contracts, you know, they're... Uh, we don't treat police officers the way we treat every other licensed professional where, you know, you can, you know, yank the license of a bad actor. Police unions, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about teacher union contracts and trying to fire bad teachers. Right. But we spend almost no time trying to unpack police union contracts where it's almost impossible to get rid of a bad police officer. And I think it's incumbent upon us, us meaning, you know, white people, mm-hmm. we've got more power and privilege in this country. It's just a sad fact. And I think it's incumbent upon us to spend as much energy and time as we can to fix our government and our law enforcement. And, you know, there's not a lot, you know, the sort of teach, you know, cultural response. It's sort of easy to say, well, you know, you should learn to obey police officers. Well, I don't fear any police officers. I've never feared for my life because of a police officer pulling Mm -hmm. me over. I know they're going to, they serve and protect. Right. And so if we sort of acknowledge we're coming from very different places then I think it's it's probably a lot more productive to focus our attention on why don't you why don't you have that fear? Why don't you have I, that fear? I'm white. That's the I mean we that's the racism that I'm talking about. I don't think if I do if I when I break the law because everybody breaks the law all the time, right? You speed a little bit here. Did your you, parent you know? did your parents ever teach you that if a police officer asks you for your license, you give them your license and you don't give them your lip? For sure. Yes. Okay. That's good. Um, but I hope I that's the case. I don't know that's the case. I hope it's the case. Yeah. Well, but I'm also not, as many African Americans are, over policed. And it's a it's a problem. And it's it's not it's not a bad apple when that can occur with three other police officers watching. It's not a bad apple when in our city of Chicago. We spent $750 million on police misconduct settlements. That's almost a billion since like 2004, right? We've got people that are alive today that were torturing people, right? right. False confessions. So, well, I would say this, Dan. Look, here's yeah. what the public wants the public wants law and order. They don't like the lawlessness that they have seen that happened with this incident uh, with, with Mr. Floyd and his death. But they don't like the rioters either, and they don't like them getting away with it. Now, I, I'm pretty confident that justice will be served in the Mr. Floyd's incident, incident murder, really. It is. I am not confident that these rioters, these looters, these arsonists, that justice will be served. And that's because, honestly, and at least in Chicago, you've had really a, a, a sort of a lawlessness feel. Like it's one thing is okay for the king and the queen, but another thing is not good for the for for those below. From the Jesse Smollett stuff to property tax evasion to bribery and extortion, all of those are under investigation or have been crimes that have been um, actually pled guilty to by Democrat uh, political leaders in the last year, and it just feels like it's complete lawlessness. Now, well, I, who's going to make these stores whole? 
I definitely agree that this was done. We want that's what we want done. We want we got let, let's let Dan, Dan go, let's go to Dan. Dan, go no, ahead. look, I, I think I think uh, there should be no tolerance for people that that steal or, or certainly people that are burning uh, buildings. Um, and I think I my suspicion, I don't know. My suspicion is there were organized efforts to incite violence. My suspicion yeah. is there are pe- there are right. some fringe elements that yeah. want to see it. Um, and I'm sure there were some people that did crimes of opportunity, right? And that's yeah. unfortunate and they should be punished, you know, proportionate to the crime. I don't believe, I, although I agree with what you just said, that, that there, there can be provocateurs from the left, there can be provocateurs from the right. But what I'm saying is they can move a few people to do some bad things. But when I see looting and you're dealing with thousands of people, I don't think those thousands of people have been pushed out of their, their homes into the streets, into the local you know, Walmart to steal as much as they can because they didn't learn one basic lesson. Thou shalt not steal. That's, yeah, I, I don't that's have the any Ten Commandments. I mean, I, I hate to get religious here, but I mean, that's wrong. Yes. If you don't own it, you have to earn it. You don't steal it. And that's true. That's Let's true. go to calls. Bobby, Bobby in Wheaton, Illinois. Go ahead, Bobby. You're on the air. Yes, hi. Thank you for taking my call, Bruce. You said something very, very compelling um, just a few minutes ago mm-hmm. about how African-Americans are raised. I'm African-American. I live in Wheaton. I was born in Chicago on the south side. I've heard for years, you know, the Popo going to get you, the Popo will hurt you. I have to tell friends out here to stop telling their children that because we have police officers out there. If their child is ever lost or needs help, they're more scared of the police than some other stranger on the street. You brought up a very good point, and I can't speak for every African-American. I have children. I have two girls. I have taught them. Bobby, 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 let me just say something. We're about to go to a break. I want to put you on hold. I want you to continue your comment, but I want to I want to do so in a leisurely way. And we're running up to a commercial break, so stay right on the line. Our producer Andrew Marshall uh, will get to you, and we will continue with Bobby from Wheaton, Illinois, from coast to coast and border to border around the world on BeyondTheBeltway.com. This is Bruce Dumont. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association.
Bobby from Wheaton, Illinois, continues with us on Beyond the Beltway. Bobby, thanks for standing by. Go ahead with your comment, please. Yes, sir. Thank you. And what I was saying is that I I have a large family that I come from in Mm -hmm. Chicago. A lot of black men. I have a brother. Same thing. My brother works with security, with law enforcement, Mm -hmm. and we were trained to respect authority. And Dan himself has said that. And Jeannie says, I don't want to paint with a broad stroke. It is all about how you perceive law enforcement. And let's be honest, a lot of Chicagoans to this day, all you think of is Burge, John Burge. Yep. I mean, that legacy will live on in the African-American community forever. Let me just uh, interject for those listening around the country. John Burge was a longtime uh, officer, a commander with the Chicago Police Department. Uh, he was infamous for literally beating uh, confessions out of black men. Uh, he was uh, ultimately went to prison. He was one of the most disgraceful persons ever to put on a police uniform in the history of the United States. That's who he was, just putting it in context. Uh, and again, if, if you grew up black in Chicago, uh, you knew who John Burge was. But go ahead, continue. Yes, thank you, thank you. And, and, and that plays into a factor. And we know, that, you know, most of us know, we have met people, law enforcement officers uh, that are out there. They, they are doing the best they can for the community, protect and defend as they should. And I just wanted to expound a little bit more because what you said about how someone is raised, what they're told, that's how they're going to perceive that, that person and, and their role in society. Okay. So basically warning them against or warning them that they have to act in a certain way when stopped by a police officer that could create a sense of fear in the young child. Have I summarized your point? Absolutely. Like I said, I personally had to ask several friends when they wanted to correct their children they mm-hmm. would always bring up the police. And mm-hmm. specifically by saying, the popo is going to get you, or I'm going to call, and I would say, please don't do that. I mean, literally explain it to mm-hmm. us. And, 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 you know, I don't want to give out any personal, you know, names right. or anything, sure. but I literally, my children were raised a separate way, told how to behave and mm-hmm. act when they are pulled over. No, they're not men. They're not males. My brother, very respectful, had some respectful encounters and some disrespectful ones, mm-hmm. yet he is here today. It is tragic, right. this this Floyd. I, I can barely sleep lately at night thinking about family. I know this touched everyone, no matter what race, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, or where you live in America, because to witness such an act as that, this is why a lot more people are definitely standing up and sounding off. But I agree. The violence just loses the message. Thank you so much for a, taking a, my A call. very good point. Thank you very much for your call. And just on a, on a personal note, I don't think I've ever shared this, but when I was a young boy, uh, I was scared to death of the police because my mother, more than my father, if I had been misbehaving or doing something wrong, and my father was not around, and there was a period of time he was not around, my my sisters and brother, or sister and brother, they would say, 
The police are going to get you. The police are going to get you. And I remember sitting in the back seat of a car, and whenever I would see a police car, I would duck down so the police would not see me. Now, I was a young white kid, seven, eight years old, growing up in Chicago. So I remember, I, I know how the fear of God or the fear of the police can be instilled in you. And I, I think I thank Bobby for calling up and offering that perspective because, frankly, I had never viewed it in that way. And I think that's why programs like this, where white men can hear from black women about perspectives, is so very important. Susan in Chicago, you're next on Beyond the Beltway. Go ahead. Are you there? Joseph in Austin, Texas. Let's go to you. You're on the air. Can you hear me, Bruce? Yes, I can, Joseph. Okay. One of the panel members, I think his name is Dan, asked a question. Yep. Do do police talk to black men the same as they talk to white men? I've got a rhetorical question for him. Do black men talk to police in a respectful way? You know, we've got... 60% 60% of the people in prison are black men. All right, let's, let's let Dan respond to that. Dan, is that, uh, yes. do Joseph, you want to comment on that? The, thank you for the call and the question. I would say, since we hire and fund our police officers, we need to hold our police officers to a much higher standard than how we would hold a citizen. So even if what even if you're correct, and let's say that some citizens just are not, don't have a nice tone or aren't that respectful. I think that is largely irrelevant to how we should expect our public employees, our police officers to treat folks. And that I, I think we need, and you know, you go on, Joseph. That's my, my, my response to you. Go ahead, Joseph. Last word to you. Got another 15 seconds. Yeah, well, I think 70% of the black males grow up in homes without fathers. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Okay. Uh, It is definitely one of the problems. I think uh, our guests would agree with that. This evening in hour number one, Dan Johnson has been our progressive Democrat. Nice to have you with us, Dan, always. Jeannie Ives has been our conservative Republican. She is running for Congress in the 6th Congressional District, just uh, uh, west of Chicago. I'm Bruce Dumont. In the next half hour, or the next hour, we'll be joined by a whole set of new guests, including a representative from the American Civil Liberties Union. We've got lots of questions for him because a lot of people think their civil liberties are being violated. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games. But I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope 
our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. We continue with hour number two of Beyond the Beltway, coming to you from WCGO Radio in Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. In hour number one, we've talked uh, a lot about what's been happening in the last uh, 48 hours, 72 hours in this country. And uh, we want to continue our conversation of that and also to mention to you that wherever you're listening uh, this evening, there may be some unique things that are happening in your neighborhood. Uh, We would be interested in hearing what you have to say. And again, uh, 1-800-723-8289. We're having a little problems with our phones this evening, but we'll do the best we possibly can. Uh, Joining us now to share their thoughts and differing opinions, we welcome Peter Hanna. Peter Hanna is an attorney. He also has done work with the ACLU in the past. He's also a professor of law. Uh, Derek Blakely joins us. He is a a longtime reporter, now retired for CBS2 Chicago. And also joining us is Karen Singelman, and she joins, she's our conservative in this hour, and she joins us from California. Karen, let me turn to you and ask the question. Uh, we've talked a lot about what's been happening in Chicago uh, this first hour. Tell us what's happening in Los Angeles. It's look, it looks pretty bad on TV. Go ahead. Bad on the ground as well. It's really just an absolutely stunning turn of events. I had been part of rallies to open the beach and open businesses a week ago, and we were maligned 
for our hate and wanting people to die um, for opening businesses. And just a scant few days later, we've got thousands of people burning cars, looting stores, all in close proximity to one another, um, taking over Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, um, the Grove Mall in um, Los Angeles under the pretense of this is all about George Floyd which obviously it's, you know, looting stores has nothing to do with To what extent is the National Guard, I know the National Guard was was called in uh, uh, by the governor, uh, to what extent have they shown any any face in, in Los Angeles? It looks like there's not not much of anything, and it doesn't appear that there's really much will to stop anything. The new video is Santa Monica Place, a high-scale um, mall in in. in Santa Monica, one of the more you know left-leaning places on the on the in the country, and just people running out of stores with arms full of jeans and sneakers and you know all of that, and there's literally nobody impeding them for that. So there's not really a presence. There's no will to stop it. Peter, Hannah, before we get to the to the specifics of of what prompted all of this, uh, as an observer, both legally and also you know home watching television. Uh, People seem to be taking advantage of this situation, and people are reacting to it because they don't like looters, they don't like arsonists, and and being lost in this, I am concerned, is is the reason why uh, there should be legal protest in this country over uh, what happened in Minneapolis. Are you worried about that the uh, the message is being lost already? No, I'm not worried about that. And I think um, what we have is a media that is much more interested in just highlighting, you know, the work of, uh, you know, a few bad actors among a majority of people who are really fed up with what has become the norm in America, um, which is, um, you know, our law enforcement agencies have been militarized. Um, There are very few consequences for when our police officers uh, kill people uh, more or less indiscriminately, or for a traffic stop, or a you know allegedly counterfeit bill. What about um, what about think, a, what uh, about in the, what about in this particular case? Are you is there is there a part of you that is pleasantly surprised that he was charged so quickly, the officer in this matter? Uh, no, I'm completely disappointed. I think being charged with third degree murder is uh, kind of a farce. I think under the law of Minnesota, he should have been charged with at least uh, you know more, more honestly fairly second degree murder. And the truth is there's multiple other officers who have been fired. Yeah. But are just, you know, walking around, going to the store, having coffee, uh, who are with him, who stood idly by while this man killed George Floyd. One, so, no, one, I'm, not, received, I'm not pleased at all. We, I, I received a message, uh, via Facebook during the break. And they, they said that, that in something that they have read already, that one of the four officers, Supposedly said uh, to, to to turn uh, you know Mr. Mr. Floyd over so he could he could breathe. Would would in your mind if if that turns out to be true, does that change things for that officer? Does that officer get off less severely than the others might have? You know, if the officer said that, um, I think it ends up becoming uh, really a question of fact for the jury. The jury um, would have to decide it. If I were the, you know, if I were Keith Ellison or in a position where I could choose to bring, you know, what charges the prosecutor, I would still bring that person in and I'd interview the person and I'd, I'd try to figure out, you know, did they do enough? But you know what, if I, if I see, you know, one, you know, you Bruce with your knee on someone's neck and I say, Hey, turn him over um, and he dies, 
that's not enough for me if I were right. a juror. I, I would. That doesn't get him off the hook for me. Okay. Bruce, can I interject yes, here go for a This moment. is Derek Blakely. Go ahead, Derek. Um, as reprehensible as uh, uh, all of the actors in George Floyd's death were, I think the three officers who stood around and basically did nothing um, just resonated with me because it really points the finger at the question we've been talking about for years, which is this code of silence. And, you know, the, the police squad cars say serve and protect. And too often it's to serve other officers and protect their own interests and cover their behinds. We talk about, you asked uh, Peter about, uh, uh, you know, the, whether it was just, uh, you know, Peter said, in fact, there's a few bad apples uh, among the demonstrators. I, I don't accept a few bad apples uh, kind of line with the police. I don't accept it with the demonstrators either, frankly, Peter. Uh, but um, this is an endemic problem. We talk about the good officers that were there. Uh, we talk about the good officers that are on the force. But there, if those other officers were part of those good officers on the scene that day, they did not show it. And they must be prosecuted. They must be prosecuted. And this is the core problem within the police the not only that we have lousy police officers, but we have good police officers, supposedly, who fail to call out the bad ones mm -hmm. when their misdeeds are obvious. And uh, it happened in the shooting of Laquan McDonald here in Chicago, uh, where, you know, a raft of officers changed a story that contradicted what was on videotape. Mm -hmm. And if that videotape wasn't there, uh, you know, not only would uh, uh, the officer there have gotten off scot-free, but so would these other officers, because you know what would have happened? They would have made up a story, concocted a cock and bull story to cover up what happened in the name mm -hmm. of protecting each other. And it's right there for you to see right there on videotape. I want to can, can I, I pick up on something Derek said very briefly, just one sure. one little point. In a police force, if you have ten bad cops and you got five hundred good cops, right? And the five hundred good cops cover for the ten bad cops. You have 510 bad cops, and that's the culture that we're dealing with. You can have a few bad apple, you know, cops, but you got to have the rest not standing behind this thin blue line or blue wall of silence or whatever. And if they do, even if they're passively complicit, they're bad cops too. And we've tolerated that for too long. Um, one cop can destroy an entire community or certainly anyone's life. Um, and if they just let that slide, that's what's been happening again and again and again. And these protests aren't just a reaction to George Floyd. That might be, that's the match that, you know, lit the powder keg. But, mm -hmm. you know, th this shouldn't happen in America in 2020. And it happens every day. And actually, in these types of police killings have only increased since 2014. You know, whatever time I'm on your show, Bruce, some of your, you know, more conservative viewers. One, one, one second, you know, one second. Are, Peter, are, Peter, 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 Peter. One, one second, no, no, we got to pause. Anyway. We got to pause. We're going to a break. And then we'll be back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age 60 are at higher risk for the COVID-19 coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. 
A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back and beyond the Beltway, hour number two. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, uh, Peter Hanna was going to make a point right before the commercial break. Peter, go ahead. Yeah, just a very, very brief point. Um, I'm not sure we got cut off, but all I wanted to say is um, to the extent people out there are saying this is Donald Trump's fault, uh, I think that's very foolish. Donald Trump is obviously uh, an extremely bad actor and a corrupt person and an incompetent, you know, resident, partial <laughs> president. But please don't laugh, ma'am. Like, I'm trying to make a point. I, I'll give you the same courtesy when you speak. Um, but the problems that we see today in America around our law enforcement, around, you know, a lot of things, they began a long time ago. And there was a president who came before Donald Trump, who was in office for eight years. That guy's name was Barack Obama. And he, he was a good and decent human. And, and I think he had everyone's interest in heart. But he was not an effective president. And he sat there and he did too little to stem these sorts of problems. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Bruce, you know, I'm not like a super partisan guy. Like I call it like it is. I can objectively say Trump's a buffoon and I can objectively say Obama didn't do remotely a fraction of enough and kind of led to this situation right now. Right. So I just, I just want to put that out there because I'm really, I think I'm so tired of the partisan nonsense. Like we have to call it as it is. This didn't happen in the past three years. America wasn't some sort of city on a hill in 2016. And, I want to. Uh, I want to. I want to go back and and ask Derek because we we have been at this situation before insofar a high visibility uh, shooting of a of a of a black man, uh, unarmed black man by by white police officers, or in this case, a being uh, you know choked to death in essence. But th- there's a big brouhaha. Sometimes there's demonstrations. It's nothing like this. There has never been anything like this. The, the, the last thing I can remember, the Rodney King riots or maybe the 1968 convention riots. But this, this, this is a bad situation. And my question to you, Derek, is where do we go next? Because you've seen this story before. What's next? Who does what? Derek, are you there? Derek, we dropped out. Can we can we please get him back? Uh, uh, is Karen there? Are you there? I'm here. Yep. All right, Karen. Let me uh, ask. Let me ask you the same question. I mean, uh, <laughs> we we have all seen this story before. I think we're tired of seeing the story. We'd like some movement, some resolution. What, as a conservative Republican, what can you bring to this discussion? I've been wondering the same question for the last you know, 24 hours, but frankly, all during the whole COVID um, nightmare that we've been faced with. There's two problems here. One is obviously the police brutality that was out of control and has been periodically, but let's not kid ourselves. Um, There's a lot of brutality um, that's not police related, and there's a handful of white people also killed by by police and nobody's looting. So there's the the police brutality thing, which is an absolute outrage, must be addressed. It's not like this was ignored. If third degree is not high enough, then let's bump it up 
let's bring in the other officers. Certainly, I couldn't agree more. But can we please recognize that this looting is not, it, it, it's exploiting this poor man's death. Even his fiance said, don't do this. And people still are doing this. This is hardly spontaneous protest. There's um, truckloads of bricks being dropped off in all of these places. There's rioting in, in San Clemente, Huntington Beach, Temecula. These, these are not hot spots for this kind of activity, but they are being exploited the now. The so where do we go from here? The People, there's got to be a will to stand up against looting, against criminal behavior, against rioting. That has to stop. Yes, we have to deal with the police aspect of it, no question, but the response is not destroying Rodeo Drive. It's not destroying San Clemente, Santa Monica, stealing as many. Target right now, one of the few stores that had been allowed to be open throughout this entire COVID thing, Target is closing most of their stores, as is Walmart. Who does this benefit? And I would also add minority-owned businesses are among those hurting the most. So I would suggest that part of the response to this should be addressing the fact that these rioters in the name of this horrible death that nobody thinks should go unaddressed, they are destroying minority-owned businesses, okay. people who struggled for I their whole let, lives okay, to let, open a business. Derek, Derek, thank you very much. Derek is back. Derek, I want you to respond to some of the things that Karen said, and then I'll go back to the uh, question I asked before we we, uh, we lost you. And, and that is um, arson and looting and rioting, they drive people crazy. I don't want to just say they drive white people crazy. I think they drive a lot of people crazy because they, they take the eye off, they take the media focus off what should be the story. And the story is what happened uh, with a Minnesota cop up in, in, in Minneapolis. So my question to you is, how do we get back on track and tell us why so many people get so upset with looting and, 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 and rioting and arson. Well, I think they get upset with it because uh, it's, it, it's uh, chaos, it's disorder. And uh, when it happens uh, in minority communities, it really hurts the people in those communities. Uh, all you have to do is take a drive down West Madison street in Chicago uh, where, which burned uh, in the King riots 50 years ago. Right. And when people say nothing's changed in 50 years, they can take a ride down West Madison Street and just about prove it. Um, so those are areas that are food deserts. Those are areas where there's no place to, to get a prescription filled, where there's nowhere to cash a check because there aren't any banks. And, and um, so those circumstances, and this has been studied, uh, in, in many of the areas that were hit in, in those late 60s riots, um, have never really come close to being recovered. All right, let me I mean, let me just interject here, okay? That, to me, is so clear. And by the way, I, I was in the National Guard on West Madison, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And whenever I drive through that area, I just think, you know, nothing's changed in 50 years. But my question to you is, why, why, why do I get it? Why do a lot of people get it, but some people in the black community whether it's leaders or followers, and we're I'm talking about 50 years now, some people just don't get it. And yet it well, seems to be such a common sense thing. If you're concerned about food deserts 
and you and you want to go get your 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 diabetes medicine, don't burn down the local CVS. Well, you, a couple of things, Bruce. First of all, you're talking about a generation that wasn't even alive 50 years ago. Yes, most of the people who are are participating in these things don't have that. Uh, what's the phrase now? Lived experience. Yeah. Uh, I was a high school kid then, so I, I I remember that and I recall that and I've seen I've seen the fruit uh, that has been delivered from that or not delivered. Uh, the devastation that continues, uh, and there is looting going on, for example, in Chicago in some African American neighborhoods now, today, right, right now. Yeah, and and in uh, suburbia. <laughs> but I, I would also say this. I would differentiate, uh, and it's a very sharp difference. The rioting that happened in Chicago, downtown River North yesterday, um, there was not a large African-American participation in that. I've seen the pictures. I've talked to people who were there. And it's a marked contrast, say, to the Black Lives Matter protests that happened in the wake of the Laquan McDonald shooting. Those were primarily led by African-American activists, old and young, Mm -hmm. they were largely peaceful. They shut down some stores because they blocked the entrances, but not because uh, they were smashing and looting. And um, I think there were some people who were involved in yesterday uh, who were more interested in destruction than protest. Um, And that's a contrast to what happened in the Black Lives Matter movement. Do you but think? Do you think? I want. Do you think Do you think? Do you think that's antifa? Do you think those are antifa? That those are. I, uh, it, it, I don't know who antifa is. I, I've heard about it. I mean, I'm, I've seen anarchists at work uh, when I was uh, uh, reporting from Europe and Germany and France and places like that. Uh, I, I wouldn't just say. Um, I wouldn't say antifa. I would just say people who uh, kind of believe in anarchism. I would say that, yeah, there were some of those people here in Chicago. But I think we also cannot underestimate that uh, this killing has uh, kind of lit a match and has kind of, uh, is a kind of tipping point for America. And some of the people, a lot of the people who are in the streets are simply saying, this is a vote of no confidence no confidence in police reform, no confidence in uh, uh, the form of policing that's going on, no p- confidence in the discipline of police uh, through our criminal justice system, which is uh, completely lacking. And, and, and you see how difficult it is to convict police officers in circumstances uh, my, in which their misconduct from, from, is written large. Derek, from a political standpoint, I want to ask Peter to answer this one, but we'll come back to you. Does it does it also say that they don't have confidence in a Democratic progressive mayor or a Democratic governor? Because where all the major distrib- uh, disturbances have happened, that's that's right. the common denominator you've had. Peter, uh, Peter Hanna, and again, I know, I know you don't like to put in the Democratic stuff, but again, if you're looking for a common denominator, well, has has there been I mean, too much uh, uh, yeah, permissive attitude on the part of the police in, in some of these areas? No, no, I think you're confusing causation and, and correlation. Um, our cities historically have, have had Democratic leaders for a very long time. I don't think it has to do with that. Um, I think what it has to do with is sense of real lack of and lost of hope. 
And I can tell you this, um, if the two presidential candidates that we have to look forward to November um, inspired even the slight bit amount of hope that things would be better, I don't think you'd have this. I don't think you have this in June, May of 2016, I'm sorry, of 2008 for um, Obama runs. I think people- We've got to to pause. I hate to interrupt you again. We do have to pause. Come back to Peter. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Hi, this is Dr. Phil. The new coronavirus called COVID-19 is spreading in China and beyond. While CDC is working to stop the spread of the virus, we can all play a role in stopping this deadly disease. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting emergency response efforts in the United States and around the world. To get updates and learn how to protect friends and loved ones, find out how to help by going to cdcfoundation.org. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. I'd like to take a moment now to let each of our distinguished guests this evening take a moment to introduce themselves, and we begin with Peter Hanna. Peter? Attorney and uh, professor of law. Um, I am a progressive. Uh, I don't really have any allegiance to any particular political party or anything like that, but I do have allegiance to sensible policy that improves uh, the lives of all Americans. And Derek Blakely. Yes, Derek Blakely. I'm a native Chicagoan. I've spent uh, uh, 41 years in uh, television news. Uh, I was a network correspondent for CBS uh, in Chicago and in London and in Bonn. But uh, for more than 30 years, I've been a a TV reporter in Chicago. Um, Just retired last year. Now do a little teaching at DePaul and a little writing for a uh, local political website known as the Center for Illinois Politics. And uh, do you like the fact, because you and I are Facebook friends, do you like the fact now that you can offer your political opinions and thoughts uh, with your Facebook friends as opposed to uh, supposedly zipping them up uh, as a reporter? I do. Yeah, I do. I I enjoy that. I don't enjoy a lot of the uh, uh, partisan bickering um, and name-calling and... uh, uh, that I think uh, cheapens and coarsens political discussion. But, uh, yeah, I, I do like being able to make a point or give some insight. And, uh, you know, I, I think people on both sides have, have interesting things to say and interesting things uh, to contribute. Uh, one of Donald Trump's tweets today, uh, he said, uh, there are organized groups that have nothing to do with George Floyd. Sad. And I think there were some organized groups involved in, in some of the unrest. Uh, and I think that is sad. Uh, you know, but uh, that doesn't make everything, <laughs> everything else that Donald Trump says correct. But twice a day, right? Let me let uh, Karen uh, introduce herselves, and then I want to follow up question with, uh, uh, with Peter. I'm now under house arrest. So <laughs> unrest, I think, is understating it. 
as is people's losing their livelihoods. Um, I'm Karen Sigmund. I was a scientist for 20 years doing underwater acoustics during the Cold War. I became a teacher and professor um, of math and other things. And most recently, I'm the president of the American Freedom Alliance, an organization dedicated to preserving freedoms and indeed to ensuring um, freedom, fairness, the best possible lives for the most number of people. So I'm also active in the Republican Party, but the American Freedom Alliance is where my um, my heart lies. Okay, thank you very much. And again, for those that like uh, freedom and fairness, uh, we want to remind you that uh, Beyond the Beltway is uh, looking for some support uh, through our GoFundMe campaign. So if you go to GoFundMe, you can look up Beyond the Beltway, or if you just go to beyondthebeltway.com, you'll see my smiling face, and you can contribute uh, to the ongoing production costs of this program, which are uh, getting uh, they're getting up there, and uh, any support that you could provide to keep this show alive and well, we do appreciate it. And again, tomorrow, uh, we're in the countdown to our 40th anniversary. We've got four more shows. The last uh, Sunday in June will be the 40th anniversary of this program, so we hope that you'll be with us each and every Sunday night, as hopefully you have for many, many years. Uh, uh, Peter Hanna, I want to go back to you because the president said that uh, he, he wants to designate uh, Antifa as a terrorist organization. Uh, you don't represent the ACLU on this program, but you certainly have been very active with them. What's your reaction to the, the president's uh, move uh, to go after Antifa? Oh, I mean, it's just political theater. I mean, Antifa, if anyone... Um looks into the organization. It's a decentralized organization of different disparate interests who, you know, take an approach or take stands against fascism. Some of them uh, pursue more violent and aggressive means to, to do so that I don't approve of. And, and I don't approve of any looting or violence at all. Um, and I think, you know, they're not a, it's like saying I'm going to declare, you know, I don't know, uh, diabetics, a terrorist organization. It doesn't make any sense. It's just sort of like a loose affiliation of people who are united by like one thing, their opposition to fascism, um, which obviously is becoming very prominent, uh, you know, these days. So I, I think it's just something that he's some red meat he's throwing to the base um, because, you know, they need a villain. They need a villain. And it's not easy to for the president to say, yeah, the people, who, the guy who killed George Floyd and those cops are terrible and have like the rest of the world basically agree. Donald Trump needs like a polar sort of like enemy at all times. And right now, Antifa is the one that he's highlighting to be that enemy. Well, he he, he was very upset with the police officer involved. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe not I, yeah. as uh, as upset as you would like him to be, but again... No, 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 no uh, that's what pretty, I'm saying. He was pretty quick to that, he, yeah. He's aligned with the rest of the world. I mean, people who are Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, progressive, yeah. regressive. We, everyone who saw the video thinks it's a... It's, uh, grievous, grievous harm on American society and, and you know, people of color. Um, I, but he needs an enemy, and Antifa is the enemy that he has now selected uh, for his base. I, I want to go back, Derek, we'll start with you. I want to go back to that moment when uh, I think America was unified in, in their disgust for the actions of the Minnesota police officer. And it, it seemed to me that it was a moment where literally everybody was, probably 99% of the people were infuriated with what happened. So how did that moment of national unity, how did that get hijacked so quickly because of the actions of the mob, whether the mob being legitimate protesters 
or legitimate protesters who could not police their own ranks and allow them to be infiltrated by those who were either Antifa or, or right of center or, or looters or just hooligans or thugs. I mean, that happened rather, it happened within, within 24 hours. I don't uh, disagree. I, I think I said earlier, I, I think that uh, uh, the rioting and the looting does uh, take the focus off the, the horror of, of, of what happened uh, in Minneapolis in terms of uh, the death of, uh, of George Floyd. Um, but I also think that um, we really need to focus on uh, measures, you know, what can we do uh, to uh, restore confidence uh, of the people in the streets, of the people in the communities, in policing and in justice and in the justice system. Um, I, this is someone I don't usually agree with very much, but Representative Ilan Omar from uh, Minnesota uh, said she's going to propose a bill, and I don't think this is going to get very far, but a federal agency that would uh, investigate officer-involved shootings and uh, use of excessive force. Now, that would, uh, I know, trample federalism and, and local prosecutions and all kinds of lines that we usually have set up in this country. But when you see what's happening in the streets, if something like that would, would give a measure of uh restore a measure of confidence to people that wrongdoings will be prosecuted and limited, I think it's something that, that, that should be and has to be considered. Karen, well, well, what's, your, what's, your re- what's your reaction to that? I don't want to get Peter, but re- what's your reaction to that of, 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 of a, uh, a Justice Department strike force that whenever there was a police shooting, they would automatically come in, they would, they would take control of the internal investigation, and, and they would make recommendations back to the local prosecutor who then could vote up or down on, 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 on their investigation. But it would be removed well, from the, the politics of, of, and the heat of the, of the specific uh, city. I think having um, independent inquiries into things is, is a good idea. I don't have an issue with that at all. I would not necessarily see it as a, as a, at the federal level at all. Um, but I, I think investigations into police misbehavior as any misbehavior isn't, isn't a bad idea. Um, as far as, as Antifa, though, I, I wanted to ask you, do you really think that these nationwide protests were somehow spontaneous and that Antifa or a like organization isn't involved? And I would ask, no, um, I considering that there's 500, you know, the 500 police officers and 10 bad apples, is it wrong to go after those 10 bad apples if those 10 are Antifa? You, it, seems, it seems like, you know, you're, you're demonizing Donald Trump for trying to get to some I of think the I think of we're, this problem. You asked me yeah. a question, I'll give you my answer. I, I think there are more than a few bad apples. I think, there's more yeah. than, I think there's more than a few bad apples that are out on the streets utilizing and taking advantage of this situation. And I think there's more than just a few bad apples uh, who, who in their hearts, uh, they don't really care too much about what happened in Minneapolis. Uh, Peter, your I, reaction. I agree. Your yeah. reaction. No, I just, there's a couple of points, but um, I'll probably be interrupted by a commercial. So I'm sorry. Uh, no, you got a couple I of minutes. <laughs> um, but first off, um, again, the, the, Karen, these protests were largely organized by Black Lives Matters. That's yes. the primary group. It was Antifa doesn't have a website or like a list. And Antifa, don't don't no, 
Don't underestimate their reach, Karen? even though they don't have a website. Karen, go ahead. I'm go just, ahead, Peter. Oh, I'm, Peter. I'm just don't patronize me. Let well, me then don't interrupt me, and maybe you will actually hear what I have to say, right? Go ahead. So what I'm trying to tell you is Antifa does not have a website or a Twitter or a listserv to share their plans. Word spreads other ways. And they, they weren't the organizers. The Black Lives Matter folks were the organizers. The number of bad apples, whatever. It could be a few. It could be many. But it's really funny to me that the story is not the fact that we have a corrupt, broken, farcically militarized law enforcement apparatus across the country that kills people more or less, you know, way too much. It's that like some people stole a TV from Target and like the looters and the rioters. I don't agree with any of that. There shouldn't be any looting. There shouldn't be any rioting. There shouldn't be any arson. There shouldn't be any violence. Zero. I have no tolerance for it. But I do also have a problem with the fact that the narrative is not about the deeper, bigger issue. The deeper, bigger issue is the law enforcement situation. And Representative Omar's plan, it's, it's, it's complete nonsense. It's complete nonsense because another president could come in, appoint a new DOJ, a uh, new attorney general, and have the, the thing disbanded. If you want to get to the root of this, what we need is state-by-state state bills and laws that say, if you're an officer, you're a police officer. One second. I hate to do it. Back with your final word in a moment. Bruce Dumont. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back from Evanston, Illinois. And uh, after our broadcast this evening, I'm going to try to uh, make it back to my home in uh, downtown Chicago. And uh, most of downtown Chicago is cordoned off in a variety of different ways. So I'm going to have to find some way to sneak through the police lines to get back to my house. It's uh, very tense in the city of Chicago this evening, and the, the National Guard has been called out to uh, direct traffic. Uh, the governor made a very clear point that they were not there to confront any demonstrators. They just wanted to say, we're going to direct traffic. So I don't know whether that's going to scare anybody or not. But anyway, I want to thank also Michael uh, uh, Capicelli. Uh, at the beginning of our program this evening, for the first time in a long, long time, we have a brand new opening to this program if, you, if you're watching it uh, in any video format. And Michael Capicelli did a great job in producing that for us. We appreciate uh, Mikey's work on that. And also, I want to give a big uh, thank you to Andrew Marshall, uh, who is the producer of this program, who graduated from New Trier High School yesterday and there was a big party last night you were able to go out how many did you were you able to get 10 people together or were you limited uh we were relatively limited but we're continuing the celebration tonight very good and he's going to head off to hofstra university and become a big network star and uh, hire me when i get very very old although Mm -hmm. i'm actually very very old right now peter hannah uh uh i don't mean to do this but you you 
You've made brilliant points right up to the commercial break each time this evening, so I'm going to let you finish the point yeah. you were uh, in the no, middle no. of when the mu- when the theme music came on. You know, I just I, I'm just teasing you, Bruce, and teasing <laughs> the other guests. Um, the, the point I was going to make is very simple. If you want to really reduce police violence, the types of violence that we've seen, um, you just have to pass one law. And I would call on any legislators and folks, policymakers to consider this. Mm-hmm. Um, we need a law that says, basically, if you're a police officer and you commit unwarranted violence against the public or engage in acts of corruption, you lose your pension and you can't be rehired in a law enforcement position ever again. That's it. Plain and simple. Um, and I think with that sort of incentive, you end up having people be a little bit more careful um, and be a little bit more reticent to drop their knees on um, a man who's handcuffed lying down. We'll have less Eric Garners and less George Floyds and less, uh, you know, CEOs and, and so on and so forth. That sounds like a simple solution. Karen, could you agree with that? <laughs> Love it. How do you define unwarranted? Obviously, in this particular case, it appears that it was completely unwarranted. Um I think that's that's where you wind up having things be tricky. It's my understanding that now, if you, if a police officer does commit um, an act that winds up in the death of somebody in a manner that's unwarranted, already there's tremendous punishment. You can increase that punishment, but um, you know one of the things that happened after the hands um, hands up, don't shoot lie right we all know that that never actually happened that way but we one thing that we saw was that because of what came down against the police at that time the unbelievable anti-police rhetoric um there's the police stopped doing the policing kinds of things that they're supposed to be doing the, the to serve and protect the the protect the protecting the peacekeeping so if you you know, it's always a balance. There's well, always going should to there be, be a balance. But should when, there be limit, should, should there be a limit, Derek Blakely? Should there be a limit to a number the number of beefs that you can lodge against a police officer? Because if somebody has you know ten, twenty beefs against him, I mean, doesn't that indicate that that person maybe at least should be given a a second look or maybe you know put on a desk somewhere? Uh, I think it might. Uh, you know, the problem is, again, uh, the leniency uh, that I was talking about before in terms of police discipline. One of the things Minnesota did, you know, was at least fire these guys. Do you know how long it takes to fire a Chicago police officer? A long time. A long time. A long, ridiculously long. And, uh, you know, superintendents here have tried to, uh, uh, you know, fire people. And then uh, the police board will give them a slap on the wrist or or. The system is too convoluted without without enough direct responsibility, uh, here at least. But I want to make one other point, Bruce, uh, and I think it's really salient. You know, most of these protesters who are involved, I would say practically all of them, right, uh, around the country are very much anti-Donald Trump. Right. And yet this very kind of civil unrest uh, is a godsend for President Trump. Yes. And, you know, you can bet your bottom line that he is going to use this uh, in the campaign as uh, something uh, to try to uh, beat Democrats over the head with. He's already done it with Democratic mayors. He's going to accuse the party of being soft on crime or soft on unrest. And we can shake our heads about it, but that's one of the ways that Richard Nixon got reelected yes. in 1968. Uh, the, the, the history is there. The template is there. And, you know, talk about unintended consequences. 
if these protesters knew that they were playing into the hands of re-election of Donald Trump, uh, it would be a very cruel that's why I wanted to make the point about just the common sense. The common yeah. sense of this is just, it, it's so against those of what they really want. And again, you were absolutely right. I was, I was thinking of 1968, uh, which is the, you know, the silent majority, uh, and I can see those spots being made right now. And, and right now at this moment, and again, you know, only Donald Trump's mouth, I think, can keep him from being reelected, not elected, unelected. And again, because there's always the ability for him to say something really stupid. But right now, I think the the, the tension of the country is there. There, there. The irate nature that they should have against the police officer and horrible conduct, but that police officer has been arrested or, or replaced by. The lawlessness that's in society, and that's what people are watching on television almost 24-7 right now. On that note, I have to say farewell. Peter Hanna, thank you very much. It's nice to have you back on the program. Uh, Karen Sugarman, nice to have you from Los Angeles. Derek Blakely, thank you very much for being with us on your maiden voyage. Hopefully, you'll come back and be with us again. Andrew Marshall is the producer of this program again. Uh, congratulations on your graduation. I'm Bruce Dumont. Until next week. This is Bruce Dumont. Good night from Evanston, Illinois.